Turn to Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1. I've got a long section to talk about. If you remember from last week, we began talking about these six disputes that Malachi gets to bring before the people. These six, six disputes, uh, six conversation pieces that the, that the people of God have with God. Uh, God gives them something, uh, shares something. Hey, uh, like, like we talked last week, hey, I love you. And then the people respond with, how have you loved us? And then with that dispute, the Lord answers them and, and proves to them or shows to them how he loves them. Uh, this morning, uh, the second dispute that we're going to talk about is this holy temple life, what it looks like to be holy before the Lord, what it looks like to be serving him in his temple, uh, what he desires of those places to look like and how he can be, uh, how he can be worshiped in that. So we're going to talk this morning about a second rate or half-hearted worship, uh, what the, the worship that is pointed out by the Father uh, concerning the people of God, particularly in this case the priest or the people uh, that were representatives of the Lord. He, he calls them out, particularly these priests, these pastors, these shepherds, and how, he, how these men are leading the people belonging to God, the offerings, the sacrifices that are being brought before, before the Lord and the blemishes that are involved with these sacrifices. So he calls them out on that. And so we're going to continue on through Malachi for a few weeks and talk about these things. If you've read Malachi or you have been reading Malachi, just to jump ahead, you will see that there are a number of issues. There are a number of things that are brought out. Uh, these disputes that are talked about are very personal. Uh, there are some uh, some issues uh, that, that come out in, in Malachi that we bring out today. Uh, often uh, there's, a, there's two in particular verses that we that we like to bring out and accuse people of. One of those is not tithing or not giving 10% of your income to the Lord. And the other is concerning divorce. And so uh, so my hope is this, that God brings clarity to us on what he desires from those things. Not a traditional clarity, not a tradition from churches or from religious taught or teaching, but instead clarity and discernment from God's word, from a whole picture, not just a uh, bring out a context and use it for our own teaching, but instead in the context of scripture and the context of the whole story of God, as much as we can contain in our brains, uh, in the story of what Christ has already completed, really covenant work, uh, this covenant that we have, this completed work that we have with God through his son Jesus, and how even Malachi, 300 to 400 years before Christ, entering the earth before Christ coming to earth, what that looks like, the, the instructions that the Lord has given to us uh, long before Christ entered here and the covenant that has been established through Jesus. And so as we look at this morning's sacrifices, as we look at what worship looks like or was looking like back then, uh, the hope is that this morning as we leave together, as we respond to the Father, that we would leave worshiping Him wholeheartedly, not giving second-rate worship to the Father or half-hearted worship to the Father or second-rate sacrifices to God, to the Lord, but instead that we would use our whole lives being transformed to the likeness of Jesus, worshiping Him and Him alone with everything that we are. Have you ever received a hand-me-down or a hand-me-down? Some of you have been taught over the years to call it the same thing that my family calls it, a hammy down. And uh, you spell it that way because you're a bunch of hams. And you spell hammy down. And have you ever received one of these? Someone brings to you and says something like this. And some of you have done this recently. And so if you are offended by this, I'm not sorry. But you, uh, but you are receiving a hand-me-down. Someone brings you says something and says this. 
hey, we're not using this anymore. We want you to have it. My best friend and his brother did this to me often. Uh, they grew a lot more than I did, sooner than I did. And so often I received their clothes. Hey, we're not using these anymore. We've outgrown them, and so we want you to have them. And it sounds very charitable, very generous. You've done this. I've done this. We've given things to someone else. But how do you feel as the receiver of that? Do you feel blessed? Or do you feel like charity? Do you feel like someone is just looking at you in your lowly estate and saying, Oh, poor pitiful Zach, he can't grow a beard, so I'm going to give him mine. I'm done with it, Zach. I'll give it to you now. It doesn't seem like a good gift. The people belonging to the Lord, particularly the priests, were in the habit of doing the same thing with the Lord. Bringing them their second-rate offerings. Bringing them their second, bringing him their second rate sacrifices. Bringing them half hearted worship, their hand me downs. Hey, we're, we're no longer using this or it doesn't fit our needs or, you know what, we're, we're just not into this right now. Maybe you are God. And so if you're into this, then we're going to let you have this sacrifice. And how often, if you've given a hand-me-down, how good does it really make you feel? I mean, if you're being honest with yourself or with me this morning, doesn't it make you feel good? Feel like you've done something right? You know what? I've done something. Like, I'm not using this. I was selfish in keeping this old shirt, and so I'm going to give it to somebody else. And I feel really good about giving my old shirt to someone else because, hey, they needed it. They, they were desperate for it. And we treat the Lord the same way. We, become, we begin getting in that same type of habit. Not having a correct fear and respect for the one that we're giving to. If I truly loved Zach, if I truly loved him and felt a true desire for him to have a full beard, I would do all that I could to purchase him a brand new full beard so that, so that I would symbolize or show to him that, hey, you are worthy of a nice full beard. I know that's simple and silly, and some of you are like, why does he say beard, and why is he saying beer? I'm saying beard. Okay, beard. This is how we treat the Lord. And when Malachi says that this is a burden, it's still today, 2,000 years after Christ, after Christ was here on the earth. It is still a burden to talk about. Half-hearted, second-rate worship to the Lord. Listen to what it says, starting in verse 6. A son honors his father... And a servant his master. If then, this is God speaking, if then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priest. So in this particular passage, these words are to the people leading the people of God. These words are to the men who are, the repre who are representing God, the priests who are representing God. They're representing them, and they are leading the people in worship of God. So this particular passage is directly to the priest. O priest, who despise my name. But you say, how? How have we despised your name? That's a great question, right? I mean, these men belonging to God, set apart by God, holy to the Lord, anointed by God to represent God, God is calling them out and saying, you are despising my name. You are rejecting my name. You do not fear me. You do not show me honor. Of all the people 
of all the people belonging to the Lord, these men are dressed appropriately. They have the priestly garments on. They have the genealogy coming from the perfect priestly families. These are the men who should be leading the people of God in wholehearted worship of God. Not second-rate sacrifices given to the Lord or gifts given to the Lord or offerings to the Lord, but first-rate, priority, placing fear and respect and honor in the place that it should be. But these men, for whatever reason, got in the habit of offering second-rate or half-hearted worship to the Lord, leading the people in this, and so, in all of that, began despising the name of the Lord. Can you imagine how broken-hearted you would be if today the Lord said to you, Oh, Matt Harvey Thackerson, you are despising my name by your actions, by the life that you're living, by the sacrifices that you're making, by the worship that you're giving to me. If the Lord was to say that to me, I would be so broken-hearted, so convicted, so overwhelmed with guilt, so in need of rescuing. These men despise the name of the Lord. But you say, how have we despised your name? And verse 7 says this in Malachi chapter 1, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how? I mean, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. Verse 8, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Perhaps, or present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. Despising the name of the Lord. Offering these second-rate sacrifices. Showing this half-hearted worship to the Lord. The priests were in the habit of doing these things. In the habit of presenting these lame, blemished sacrifices to the Lord. First off, we have to understand that these sacrifices should have been a foreshadow, should be pointing to the perfect sacrifice that will come at some point during their time. They were hopeful that this perfect, unblemished, non-spotted lamb would come and, and take away the sins of the entire world. So these sacrifices offered by the priest should have been a foreshadow to Jesus, to the Messiah. Hey, we're going to offer the perfect sacrifice foreshadowing or pointing towards Jesus because he is our perfect sacrifice to complete the work. But these sacrifices are, no, are in no way pointing towards Jesus. Instead, these sacrifices are only pointing back to the unholy priest. Think about your own life today. Is your life, if you're offering your life up to the Lord as a sacrifice to him, saying, you are Lord of my life, and so I give you my life, as you just sang, are you offering every bit of who you are to the Lord? Saying, I want all of me to you. Foreshadowing or presenting yourself to the, to the Lord so that others may recognize their life is not about them, but instead it's pointing towards Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the Messiah, who at some point will return and make all things right. Verse 9 says this, And now you entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show favor to any of you? 
as we continue to give hand-me-downs to the Lord, second-rate offerings or sacrifices to the Lord, as we, as we continue to worship Him half-heartedly, should we expect, should we expect, rightfully expect, the Lord to offer anything in return? Show us any kind of favor as we continue to offer to Him hand-me-downs or second-rate sacrifices? That's the question here to the priest. As you continue to offer blind and lame sacrifices, should you expect that the Lord would return favor to you? Offer that to your governor. Offer that to your father. Do you expect that if you were to offer second-rate things, second-rate sacrifices to the governor, would he in return to you show favor? Or would he be not accepting of the sacrifice being made because you didn't rightfully respect him or show fear to him? You despise the governor's name. So we have to begin with understanding Understanding what the Lord is desiring. What is he desiring out of this worship? What is he desiring out of the sacrifice? It's obvious as the Lord begins, and he goes on in verse 11 to talk about this. But it's obvious that the Lord is concerned about his name, about how the priest and the people of God are treating his name, the Lord's name. And so you have to come to a an understanding this morning that the Lord's name is really, when he shares his name, when he says, I'm the Lord, the Lord of hosts, when he says that my name is Yahweh, well, I am the I am, when he's saying these things, he's revealing to us his character. He's also revealing to us his presence among the people. And if we despise his name, we're despising his character. If we despise his name, we're despising his presence among us. The temple had been rebuilt. Security had been offered by a wall around Jerusalem. All these things had been restored. The people belonging to the Lord should have been willfully and obediently with urgency saying, all of this belongs to the Lord. And so we want to offer every bit of who we are to the Lord, all of us, in wholehearted worship with right fear and respect of the Lord. Instead, they were despising his name. When the Lord introduced himself for the first time in Exodus chapter 34 to Moses, as he introduced himself, he he talks about his name. He says this, Exodus 34 verse 5, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And here's the name of the Lord. He said, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, or Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord is this. He is a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So in a sense today, as Paul has told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that those of us who belong to the Lord, we become his ambassadors. We become his representatives. We are the ones representing his name. Are we representing the Lord the Lord God, who is merciful. Are you showing mercy? Are we representing the name of the Lord? Are we representing the God who is gracious? Are you gracious? Here's a hard one. Are you slow to anger as the Lord is slow to anger? Are you abounding in steadfast love? And then finally, are you 
faithful? Are you showing faithfulness primarily to the Lord, but also to the things that you say? Are you keeping your word? Are you being faithful in your marriages? Are you being faithful in the contracts that you have set out before? Are you being faithful into the calling that the Lord has placed upon your life? The gift that He has given you? Are you being faithful to these things? Or are you like myself and most of us who offer a second-rate sacrifice, who offer half-hearted lives or half-hearted worship, and we are only merciful some of the time? And we are only gracious when the person is worthy of us being gracious. We are only slow to anger when we've had plenty of rest. We are only abounding in love when the person is worthy of being loved. And we are only faithful when we are being faithful too, when when someone has shown faithfulness to us. Verse 7 of Exodus 34 goes on to say this about the Lord. He's keeping steadfast love for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. All these things, these characteristics of who the Lord is. I mean, how many of us have been a part of not forgiving? Someone has wronged us. Someone has committed a sin against us. And we are not willing to forgive them. We are not willing to forget about their sin as the Lord shows in His character to forget sin, to remove it as far as the east is from the west. But instead, hang on to that. And as we hang on to that unforgiveness, as we hang on to someone else's sin, the things that they've committed many years ago or many minutes ago maybe, as we hang on to that, we're not putting on display the name of the Lord. Instead, we're like these priests in Malachi chapter 1. We're putting on display me, my actions, the sacrifices that I think are worthy to be made. And this whole section is about the holiness of the temple about the holy God residing in the temple, and the people coming to worship Him also being set apart. The word holy means to be set apart. But the people coming to worship Him or lead in worship of Him are also holy, offering holy sacrifices, offering holy worship to Him. But instead they come in with this half-heartedness, these second-rate sacrifices, not showing holiness at all or righteousness at all, but instead making all of life, including this should be holy moment about themselves. The sacrifices that were being made or were being made should have been pointing to the coming Messiah, but they weren't. Instead, they were only pointing towards towards themselves. Jesus being the unblemished, perfect sacrifice, He's who we point to in all things. So when we show grace, grace, or when we show mercy, or when we show steadfast love, or when we show forgiveness, or when we show us being slow to anger, when we show these things, we put them on display, we make sacrifices in our own life to do these things, we are putting on display the character and the name of Jesus, pointing to Him as the ultimate and final sacrifice, showing that our trust is in in Him and Him alone. The priest were responsible for the example, for the godly example, or the example of godliness to the rest of the world. They were the representatives of obedience. They were to teach and train the world or the people belonging to God in obedience to God. They were to teach and train what it looks like to trust in the Lord. They were God's representatives. If you want to change the world today, if you want to change the nation today, if you want to change our state, 
our city, if you want to change your school, if you want to change this church, if you want to change your neighborhood, if you want to change your family or your spouse or your child or your boss or whatever the case may be, you must change its leaders. So, so who is leading the people of God? Why are the people of God being led astray? Who is leading them? The priests, in this case, were leading them. They were leading them. They were misleading them and leading them astray. And it's the same today. We are all leaving an example. We are all leading. We are all making disciples. Christ has called us to make disciples of him. And many of us forget about denying self, and so we begin to make disciples of our self. We are all leading. Sometimes we are leading in the way everlasting, and sometimes we are leading in the way of destruction. And in this case, the priests were not leading in the way of holiness and the way of everlasting, but instead, in their offering of second-rate sacrifices, they were leading in the way of destruction. Verse 10, Oh, that there were among you uh, among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. The Lord is saying in this sense that it would be better just to shut the temple doors, to not offer sacrifice at all because of your half-hearted, second-rate sacrifices. I have, I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I will not accept an offering from your hand. In verse 11 probably the, the most major theme in this section. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Here's the truth behind this. The Lord's name will be great among the nations, despite you. The Lord will remove you if need be. He will remove you as an obstacle for his name being made great among the nations. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be made great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name. What's happening here? In every place, the Lord will be worshipped. And a pure offering will be offered. A holy offering will be offered. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord. These priests were offering, leading in a way of destruction. They were leading, misleading the people. They were offering these second-rate sacrifices. And I know where you're already, or I'm assuming where you already are this morning. You're, you're thinking already, surely any sacrifice that we make, or you make, or I make, is already so unworthy to God. It's almost like it's an insult anyways. Anything that I could offer to the Lord, anything that I could offer, bring before Him, any sacrifice that I would make before the Lord would be an insult to Him. No, the, the imperfections in our sacrifices, here's the gospel, are covered by the sacrifice of Christ. We are in Christ, and we offer our sacrifices through Christ. And so God, our Heavenly Father, will accept them for Christ's sake, for His name, so that He, Christ, will be made great among the nations. That right there was the blank for the Amen. Christ has made the sacrifice for sin. 
We sacrifice for His name. We are not making the sacrifice for our own sin. We are making the sacrifices in our life today for Christ's name, for His sake, so that His work will be made known to the nations. And so that we, putting on display, are showing that we find pleasure and satisfaction in Him and Him alone. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. Worship of Jesus and Jesus alone. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord. Verse 12 goes on to say, But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted. And its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, What a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. My name will be feared among the nations. Can you imagine being called a cheat? That your life is a farce. Your life has been a lie. You've got the priestly ephod on. You've got the genealogy. You're from the correct family. You've done all the correct things and people are accepting of that. But before the Lord, who is holy and righteous, your second-rate sacrifices are unacceptable because of your half-heartedness. Because you had the sacrifice that should belong to the Lord. And you even made a commitment and a vow to give it but instead you kept it for yourself and gave the Lord hand-me-downs. I mean, think about this. In our world today, we will quickly, we will quickly quote this scripture. We will quickly quote and agree with it and trust in the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 22. When he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. I mean, we will. We will quickly follow that. We have a hard time loving our neighbor. We have a hard time dealing with the things of the Sermon on the Mount all those heart issues. But when Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, we quickly obey. We do not neglect following those instructions. However, we constantly neglect the rest of the verse and give to God what is God's. Why do we neglect the rest of the verse? Because our fear and our respect and our honor is misplaced. It's out of order. We do honor Caesar. We respect him because of what he might do to us on this earth. We have a fear of Caesar, this ruling earthly authority, the governor as the Lord tells the people of God and the priest in Malachi. The Caesar or or the governor was the ruling earthly authority. And there was a deep respect and fear for that person. And so the people made a choice in their heart, who will they honor more? To honor the earthly official, or will they honor the Lord more? And in this case, as God points it out to them, you are quick to honor your father. You're quick to honor the governor, Jesus saying. You're quick almost to honor Caesar. And in so doing that, with a misplaced respect, an out-of-order respect, a misplaced fear, you despise the name of the Lord. Think Quickly with me. Who is the ruling authority in your life? Is it the American government? Is it your spouse? Is it your employer? 
Is it your absent father? Is it your kids? Is it your hobbies? Is it you? Is it your habits? Is it your loneliness? Is it your money? Spending hours upon hours serving those things. I just don't have enough money, and so I'm going to do all I can to make more and more and more. I love this hobby, and this hobby, this hobby of mine gives me satisfaction and brings rest to my life. And so because of that, I'm going to spend my time doing all the things I can to increase my satisfaction in my hobby or my habits or my kids. I'm going to allow my kids to rule over me and do everything that they say because it's easier just to say yes to them and, to, and instead of trying to explain to them why no is the better answer. Or maybe, just maybe this morning, maybe the earthly ruling authority in your life is death. And so you spend your entire life trying not to die. You do everything you can, everything possible to prevent death. You have a such you have such a great respect and fear of death. I mean, after all, this is how we justify it. Death does a horrible number on the name of the Lord. Can God be glorified in death? Didn't Jesus come to save us from death? And so we begin to justify it and spend hours upon hours upon hours, years upon years upon years, trying not to die. You know that you're not destined just for death, right? You're not destined even just for heaven. The Lord didn't just create you for the purpose of live, long, prosper, and go to heaven. He didn't create you for that. He created you for fulfillment in Him, to seek and find pleasure in Him, and to see that He is the best, the greatest thing of all, and that there is only life in Him. We were created for life, and life is only found in the Father. We were created to find pleasure and satisfaction in Him and Him alone. And until we begin to fear and respect Him, Him having all power and authority, we will continue to allow things of this world to control us. We will continue to allow things of this world to control our priorities, to control our fears, to control our honor, our respect, to control our sacrifices, to control our worship. Until Christ becomes Lord of your life and completely Lord of your life, we will continue to be consumed with things of this world. Well, I fear death so much that I better do something about it. I fear Caesar so much that I better do something about it. Maybe you're nine, nine years old and I fear girls so much that I'd, I better do something about it. I think this morning... Who are you showing more fear and respect for than the Lord? And so because you fear these things more and you honor these things more, Malachi chapter 1 indicts us just like these priests, that we despise his name. And so we must move to a point of maturity in our lives, of sanctification in our lives, that we fear and respect the Lord so much that our lives begin to transform into a desire never to despise His name again in every area of our lives. 
as we parent. Lord, let me parent in a way that does not despise your name, but instead worships you. As we pay taxes, as we battle mental or physical illness, as we eat, as we drink, as we have habits, as we work, as we go to school, whatever the case may be, as we coach, whatever the case may be, winning, losing, suffering, blessedness, all those things, we will not despise the name of the Lord. Instead, I will gratefully offer up a sacrifice of praise to the Father so that His name may be proclaimed to the nations. Quickly, I'll make these final two points. How do we despise the name and the sacrifice of Jesus? Because ultimately, if we're if we have seen that their sacrifices in Malachi chapter 1 should have pointed to the sacrifice made by the unblemished lamb, Jesus, and the blemished, unblemished lamb, Jesus, has now made sacrifice for our sin, and enough sacrifice has been made and found in him that sins can be forgiven, when we offer half of our life to him or second-rate sacrifices to him, what are we saying about his name? How are we despising his name and the sacrifice that he's made? Here's a few things. If we think that we don't need it, like my sacrifice is better. Jesus, I appreciate your sacrifice, but I think if I do these things, it might be better. Maybe I don't need your sacrifice. There is no other way to cover your sins. There is no other way to be forgiven of your sins except by the sacrifice made from Jesus. Maybe we replace it with sacrifices that we make. Yeah, Jesus, yours was great and all, but look at mine, it's better. I've made the sacrifice. Jesus, if you would have had my spouse, there's no way you would have died for him or her. If you would have had my kids, there's no way you would have sacrificed your life for them. If you would have had my boss, if you would have lived during this time, if you would have had this past president, this future president, there's no way you would have sat. Our sacrifice is so much better. And so we despise the name of Jesus. We embarrass his sacrifice. Or maybe we think that, um, that in our world today it's just an unacceptable idea. Like truly, this many years ago, the one sacrifice made by Jesus is enough? Is that really the case? And so you begin thinking through that. If we're embarrassed about it even, I want to talk about Jesus some, but it's embarrassing to talk about because I don't know enough, or truly do I believe in it enough? Did it really count? Did he really ascend back into heaven like a crazy floating thing? Are these things really true? And We begin to despise the name of Jesus. Think of his sacrifice as smaller than ours and grow embarrassed towards it. And so the last thing is we begin to neglect to teach others about it, to share that with Jesus. Hebrews chapter 13 verses 15 through 16 tell us this that through him, because he has made the final sacrifice, that through him we offer these sacrifices. Through him let us, verse 15 of Hebrews 13, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge the name. So there are two sacrifices you should make every day of your life. The first is this, that you would praise God in worship and proclaiming who he is 
to whomever you can. Through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge the name. That means that years ago this happened to me. That means that when you're playing adult softball and a kid who's a phenomenal, stellar high school athlete gets thrown out in adult softball and comes back to the bench and is sobbing because he was thrown out by a middle-aged man and it's embarrassing and he thinks he should win the whole thing and he's sobbing on the adult city league softball bench and you look at him and say, grow up. Did you lose your salvation? Is is Jesus' sacrifice still enough? Then grow up. The praise of God and worship and evangelism, pointing people continually to what Christ has done, what he is doing. And the second thing is this. Verse 16, Hebrews 13 says this. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So the first is this that we would praise God in worship of him and sharing or proclaiming his excellencies to the world and that we would do good to others in sharing what we have. And those sacrifices are pleasing to the Lord. Peter Adams says this, the main point of sacrifices is not what they cost us, but whether they please God. So you can give your hand-me-downs to someone else and make a sacrifice because it's not about what it costs you. It's about you pleasing the Lord. Lord, do you desire for me to give this t-shirt that I'm no longer wearing to someone else? Or would it be better if I gave them my entire house or just went and bought them a new t-shirt? The main point of the sacrifice is not what they cost us, but whether or not they please God. We need a God-centered view or a Jesus-centered view of our sacrifices. We need to be focused on Christ. At the end of 2 Samuel chapter 24, there's a story about David, King David, and he's been instructed to rebuild the altar so that God can be worshipped. So he's been instructed to rebuild the altar. And they rebuild the altar and now sacrifice Worship is now going to happen. And someone decides to give David, give David the things to place on, the oxen to place on the altar for sacrifice. It's a gift. It's charity. I'm going to give you these things. And David says this, 2 Samuel 24, verse 24. King David says, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David had a right view of who God is. He said, no, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. I'm going to let someone else do this. I'm not going to uh, disrespect or despise the name of the Lord because it was the easier thing to do. Instead, out of fear and respect for the Lord, and I want to please Him and worship Him and let His name be exalted, I will act in this way. Is our church a sacrificial church? Are we sacrificial people? 
If so, what does our church give up in order to offer it to the Lord? Is your ministry, the things that you're a part of, a sacrificial ministry? If so, what are you giving up in order to do your ministry? Is your life a sacrificial life? If so, what is it costing you to live as a Christian? Do you intentionally offer yourself each day, each day to God as a living sacrifice, as Romans 12, 1 and 2 says? Do you offer each day as an occasion when you will give God gladly whatever he asks of you? Does your bank account speak of a sacrificial life? Is your social life sacrificial? Are your prayers sacrificial prayers? Or are they focused solely on the needs or wants of you, your family, your church? Or are they sacrificial prayers? What about your resources? Sacrificial or self-indulgent? These priests got in a habit of worshiping themselves. They got in a habit of making their name great and not the Lord's. We need a Christ-centered view of our sacrifices. We need our eyes to be fixed on Him and Him alone. No more hand-me-downs. No more, well, I'm done with this now, so Jesus, you can have it. I'm done with this life now. I've, I've fought the good fight. I've raced. I've done all these things. I'm just tired. So you know what? Go ahead and bring me to yourself. No more of that. Instead, Lord, whatever you desire of me at this moment, use me for your glory. The sacrifices that we are making today should point forward to Jesus and Jesus alone. If, if 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is correct, if God breathed out these words to Paul to write down to the church in Corinth, and these words are correct, that you have been bought with a price, that you no longer belong to yourself, and that now you are the temple of the Holy Lord, that God now makes his residence inside of you, then you also, holy to the Lord, should no longer give second-rate sacrifices or half-hearted worship, but instead should say daily, Lord, all of me for all of you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word, for your promise of forgiveness through the sacrifice made of Jesus. Thank you that sins not only can be forgiven, but God, you have promised to also forget them, to remove them. God, thank you for the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. God, help us, those in the room who are followers of you, who have been saved by you and are now maturing in you, being sanctified by you as, as a holy priesthood now, as a people belonging to you, set apart by you, as your spirit is living inside of us. God, let our sacrifices be in Christ and daily pointing ourselves and others that we have influence over to your great name. God, you are worthy of that. You're worthy of that. So with that, God, continue to break my own heart, others' hearts, chisel away the stone so that I may be transformed into your likeness. God, help us to respond this morning in a way that glorifies you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.